Welcome to Salem the Podcast. We are your hosts and favorite Salem tour guides. My name is Sarah Black. And I'm Jeffrey Lilly. And today we are returning to 1692 to finish the story of Sarah Good. Sarah one, Good, part two. Part two, one of the first to be accused, uh, included in the second round of executions, and probably one of the most tragic stories of all the victims. All of them are tragic in their own way, but I think this one definitely uh, pulls at the heartstrings for various reasons. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you haven't listened to part one, you're going to be a little lost. So go back, check out part one, and then come back and join us again. Yeah, it's not that long. No. No. I, yeah. If you're like, oh, cool, found new podcast, part two. Don't, don't watch part two before part one. Just don't do it. Yeah, Anything. And there's so many more before that, too. So you might want to just mean, <laughs> go back even further. But Oh, my goodness. I had someone on tour the other day. Uh, I guess we can just jump right into that. Sure. Um, tour time. It's tour time. Anyway. Tour time. Tour time. Tour time. Uh, and they're like, oh, yeah, we were just coming up here. Just checked out your podcast. I think I'm on episode like six or seven. Oh, no. <laughs> it's fun. You like you. It's hard to tell. Some people start at the beginning. Yep, Some yep. people jump around. Some people find us like several months when they start planning their trip. Some people find us on the drive up here. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. where do you fall? Yeah. Uh, a good friend of mine, she listens and she just like, oh, yeah, just randomly pick one listen. I'm like. Giving me like an aneurysm. You just—they're all planned out, right? Like we. Oh yeah, you—you you want them to listen in order. Yeah, there no, is, but I love that. There is like a concept to it. Sure, but like I think it works either way. I mean, like I guess. So I—I I I am a—I'll just admit it outright. It took me a while to warm up to them, but I'm a morbid listener now, mm-hmm. like through and through. And I just go back and try to find episodes that I haven't listened to fully or haven't listened to in a long time or haven't listened to at all. It doesn't matter if they're in order. And I get that we do an order, but for these people, maybe it's just like, I don't know. It's just like a type of comfort. I guess. And I they guess. are standalone episodes. We did make them so yes. they would be standalone. But there are things sometimes they build off previous episodes or reference other episodes. And hopefully we're good enough about reference, like giving them enough. Yeah. Yeah. Contextual info to yeah. make it like really. But like the recent little Hawthorne, Emerton, Gables, that all. Yeah. But, and we, we haven't done that a lot, but that yeah, there's yeah. like a. There's a structure to some of these, but that's okay. And then it would be good to, it would be advantageous Mm -hmm. to listen to the interview with Christian and Erica of Dio Marcus before you listen to the live show because it gives you a sense of the building in which we had the live show in. Totally, totally level with you on that. But I appreciate those people out there that can just pick one and go with it. And it it was weird. I was like, episode like six or seven. I was like, I don't even know. Gosh, like, what? Mm." (laughs) I was like, yeah, are we the same people? I don't know. It's a long freaking time ago. Yeah. Do you have any other good tour times? I've got, I don't have a lot. I've got, I've got like one little thing. I will say another, speaking of uh, awesome people, shout out to Bill David. Uh, he was one of our early subscribers to the Patreon, ran into him on the street the other day. Oh, I cool. was like calling out people like, hey, anyone here mm-hmm. for the whatever time it was <laughs> Bewitched tour? And he comes up and I was like, oh, you know, are you here for the tour? 
And he says, no. And he shook my hand. He's like, my name's Bill. Bill David. He's like, I'm a Patreon. Early listener. And I was like, whoa, (laughs) I feel like I, like I recognize the name, Uh right? Like, you know, we say a lot of names, but like, you know, sometimes they do ring a bell. I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. He lives up, uh, if I recall, near like Lowell or Lawrence and comes to Salem all the time. So Very cool. Thanks, thanks. man. Yeah. Thanks for supporting from the beginning. Yeah. That was cool. Um, yeah. So you, you keep asking me for tour time stuff. I'm like, my, my tours have been great. Like and they've been fun. They've been normal, nothing outrageous, but one thing that keeps happening and, and I don't know why I keep getting kids on my night tour. It's not a, it's not an 18 plus tour. I've actually noticed a lot of kids in general. I don't I, think you're alone in that. Okay. And, and so it's not an 18 plus tour, right? But it is. A lot of death, a lot of true crime, a lot of murder. Like gruesome details. Yeah. Yeah. And I've also, I started this year to um, uh, make some more adult jokes because it is, it's a dark history, That's right? That's what they want. Yeah. That's what the people, I, give them what they want. I, I dropped some casual F-bombs here and there. Whoa, Jeffrey, what? You swear on your tour? <laughs> okay, okay. So, I wouldn't dare. <laughs> Man, so, I feel so straight edge. <laughs> so I'm talking about Captain White, right? I'm like, da 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 I'm like, but he was a slave trader, so F that guy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then I get to Giles Corey, I'm like, da-da-da, but he's this shithead, so F that guy. And then... um. I, I, I get the murder of Martha Brailsford and I was like, but Tom killed her, that guy. Screw Tom. And I keep saying, and then like at the end of it, I'm like, maybe this just should just be the fuck that guy tour. Wow. <laughs> and like people are enjoying it. And I'm like, okay, cool. And they're not, I'm not just like, like F-bomb dropping. They're like. It's, it's specific. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so do you keep the do no you keep, okay you take them out when the kids are there yes okay good uh, good and then there's some adultery there's a prostitution joke uh because crown and shields um uh-huh. and and then just a couple other things here and there that you can get a little more and i don't get like it's not very adult themed right but it's like it's a little more inappropriate and i keep having these kids and like like kids uh-huh. Like teenagers, I'll judge. I'll be like, ah, no, it's okay. I, I can drop an f bomb. Like the parents yeah. are cool, right? But I can't. I can't. I can do no. that with like a fourteen-year-old. I, I can't do that with like a nine-year-old. Wow. And I'm and, sorry, you have to keep censoring yourself. <laughs> and I don't. I swear, it's been. I get schools out, right? So fine. Yeah. But like, no, I think I've. I don't think you're alone. Okay. I feel like you, it's noticed, been. I've noticed more kids in general on tours. Okay. okay. So I think it might just be the year of the family. Sure. I don't know. The demographics change every year. Every so. day. Every day. Yeah, that's that's actually accurate. <laughs> but so. yeah, like I've definitely noticed. I'm like, what are you doing? Stop. Hundred percent. No, I'm I'm there with you. You are not alone. <laughs> and and I'm like, there was one day I had I'd say probably nearly half my tour was kids under 13, 14 years old, and I'm like. Okay, everyone buckle up. We're about to talk about some really morbid stuff. Like, I hope you're ready. Like, it's going to be a little bit of a downer. Like, this is not for... But I mean, we work, we work with it. And at the same time, I had kids the other night. Oh, this is, this melted my heart. I had kids that were part of like a group of seven. It was a big family. 
And they were podcast listeners. They have been listening for about four or five months. Thank you, thank you. And the kids also get to listen. So we thank you for censoring yourself a bit (laughs) on the podcast. Like, I usually bleep things out Uh unless it's, like, at a special occasion. And uh, so kids are able to listen to stuff that we put out. And these girls, like, the youngest was four. I think the oldest was 11. And the middle child was probably like seven or, you know, she was eight. She was definitely in the age range of the girls that started pointing fingers. And um, at the end of it, they all hugged me at once, (laughs) unprompted. And it was the sweetest thing I've ever experienced. And I remember we, towards the end, we were walking and they said, you know, we, we listened to you on the podcast. And I thought, Oh, that's so sweet. Is it weird, like, seeing me in person, like, to hear my voice? Uh And she goes, you're pretty. (laughs) 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 Oh, I tell you what, it's those tours that make your day, make your year. That's pretty cool. It was so sweet. So sweet. Tour time. What else you got? I I think that's it for me. Oh, I did have, this is, I'm sorry, I've had so many tour time incidences to share on this uh little opening but uh there was one descendant related Ah. experience i had a woman the other night who when i asked for descendants or if they know anyone who is a descendant she raised her hand she was a solo traveler and she Oh, no, she wasn't. She was part of bachelorette group. Sorry, my bad. She was with all of her girlfriends, and she had mentioned to her husband that she was going to Salem for the bachelorette party. And he goes, oh, you want to know something weird? I'm a direct descendant from Thomas Putnam. And just, like, casually dropped that. And so I was like, oh, well, you married into not a good family. (laughs) I I, I guess if you've never... Like, if it's never come up, then it's... I guess, but, like, well, that's... I And then we made that joke. I was like, I guess it's not first date material to talk right? about. But, like, I don't know. If you're in the right, in the right setting, it might come up immediately. Because you're on a first date in Salem. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. That was funny. And then I had another incident today where I asked if we had descendants, and it was a pretty large group. We had nothing. No one knew a descendant. But I did have someone who was off tour who raised their hand. <laughs> and Walking I, by. Yep. And I love when that happens. It happens probably like once every couple of weeks. And this person, they didn't even raise their hand. The people they were with were pointing to them. They're like, oh, this person. I was like, are you a descendant? <laughs> <laughs> I like pointed them and like the crowd parted raised. And they said, yes. Uh, and I was like, of who? Martha Carrier. And we were already up in the corner by John Proctor's stone in the memorial. So they were literally right there. And sh- like that one. and they just pointed to her. I was like, I was like, oh, damn. She was known as the queen of hell. Yeah. Like, good for you. Yeah. And like my group started clapping. <laughs> and uh, I said a couple things. Get a tattoo of- descended from the queen of hell. Oh, that's, right? yeah, seriously. And uh, I mentioned a couple things about the, the whole situation surrounding her accusations mm-hmm. and her family, because her Small family, box. yeah, and her family was one of the greatest targeted out of all the families in the area. So I mentioned that, and then they went about their day. But Wasn't it was so her cool. Cousin, like, her 
like she had multiple family Roger members Tuthaker and her were cousins yep, or something. Yeah, yep, they yeah. were cousins. And then her, I think her daughter was accused. Her grandchildren were accused. There were uh, nieces. That's going to be a fun episode. Oh yeah. yeah. It'll be good. Yeah. But it's always great when you ask for descendants and like, you might not have someone in your tour, but you have some, like they are everywhere. They are literally everywhere. So they might just shoot their hand up from like <laughs> over there. <laughs> and they become part of the tour. Very cool. Yeah. I think that's enough of that. <laughs> Sorry. No, I love we'll that. We'll see if I cut this. Down. It's weird because I never I never ask about that. So it's always a weird thing to to hear. Yeah, but. I got lots of stories. All right. Let's dive in to our conclusion of Sarah Good's story. So just to um, refresh from last week, uh, Sarah Good, of course, uh, accused uh, by Betty Paris and Abigail Williams, one of the first three women, uh, along with Tijib Indian, Sarah Osborne. Uh, they are arrested, uh, again, when the first arrested, February 29th, March 1st date, uh, brought in for questioning. So although Sarah Good came from an upper middle class family, she had by 1692 garnered a pretty um, troublesome reputation in town. At that point, she had descended into poverty and spent much of her time going from place to place begging for charity. She was often heard muttering to herself and uh, was kind of seen by fellow townspeople as just all around disagreeable. Yeah. And um, out of all the accused, I think it's safe to say she was probably one of the easiest targets. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about this more between the, the last recording and this one is I think we all know people who fall in on, on hard times. Some people shoulder it well and can, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And some people don't. Mm-hmm. And whether that's an internalized struggle, whether they become that their attitude, their perception, their worldview, she just seems to be someone who didn't handle that well. And that reflected in her mannerisms, in her attitude, from the pretty much every accepted report of her, um, how that just turned her... Uh, very bitter into an oh, so into that quote unquote angry bitter woman. The only thing I will counter you with on that is a. It's hard to imagine what poverty would be like on a person back then, let alone yeah. what it would be in but in at, today's at the same world. But time, like, it's not then, like she was the only one. It's not then, like she was the only person in the town at all, who or the only person ever who'd struggled with that that kind of issue. It's not like she was the first person to ever have to deal with with an issue like that. You know, it's not it's something that still happens today. Uh-huh. And it's tough, but I think that there are people and again whether where that ability to cope with that scenario comes mm-hmm. from she did not cope with it well. And and also she's a woman living in a world where women don't have very much mobility whatsoever. So it's not like she can just go out 
and get a job and like man a household by herself. No. That's not possible. No. She has to be tied to a man in some capacity. And like obviously she got roped into bad marriages and that had a severe impact on her. And what is she supposed to do? She has no, like she has literally no legal power whatsoever. So like, that's very hard. I think to make those judgments when we're looking at it through a 21st century lens into the 1600s. I mean, sure, but be nice. I don't know. It's just, I, I can't, if you're, if you're asking for help and charity, the attitude she seems to have is one of bitterness and hate. I just can't take these as much as I want to create this image of Sarah Good in my mind. I can't take these testimonies as her only interpretation. Like I can't see her as that way because that's all we have of her. Like all we have left of this woman is these words and these testimonies from the witch trials, all people that were speaking out against her. We have no records of anyone on her behalf, like testifying on her behalf. We don't have any. Right, but there are people like Rebecca Nurse. No, but like just because there is an apps, like just because there are those records existing for other people doesn't mean that the other folks that don't have those didn't deserve to be helped or championed or what's the word I'm looking for supported by fellow townspeople. I'm just saying like, I don't think we have, I don't personally, I don't think we have enough left of her life to make a judgment on her character because the records that we do have that survive are created literally by the people that took her life from her. And like, maybe they are representative of her overall disposition, but I don't feel comfortable making that assumption because I think it is an assumption. That's just me. And I know people, (laughs) I know people love this back and forth. So I'm going to leave all this stuff in. Well, no, it's good. Cause, cause it's like, it's a debate, you know, neither one of us are right or or wrong we can't say yeah it's like i i can look through and i'm like well and like i said rebecca nurse she had dozens of people standing up for her character and how good of a person how kind and like we're she's no way etc and they're going to bat for her and you got to think that no one's going to bat for this other person and yes their financial situations are different their family situations are different but i feel oftentimes you get out what you put in and I agree with that. It seems as though, and whether or not the evidence is honest of her character, the evidence that we have seems to indicate that she didn't put in a lot of good. Maybe I, it's ironic. Her name is <laughs> you're laughing. Maybe I, maybe I just have a hard time like condemning one of the victims, whether they deserve it in any capacity or not. Well, I think there's definitely. A couple who do. Kyle's <coughs> Corey. All right. Anyway, anyway. Let's, before we go off on too much of a tangent. So. 
we are back into Sarah Good's story. So I think where we left everyone in our last episode, and again, if you haven't listened to Sarah Good part one, we left pretty much right in the middle of her story shortly after she was imprisoned along with her infant still nursing daughter. Yes. And her four-year-old daughter would follow her about a month later. Um, so her four-year-old daughter, Dorothy, was accused shortly thereafter. Because, of course, let's accuse the four-year-old. I actually had someone today ask me on tour who was the youngest person accused of witchcraft. And I had to say, like, it, brace yourselves. They go from as young as four all the way into their 80s. Mm-hmm. No one could escape yeah. accusation. So how about we talk about some evidence brought up against Sarah Good? Uh, can, we, can, we, can we talk about the first night? Uh, I think we should. Um, something quite stunning happens, an extreme coincidence, so I'd this say. Is, I, I, I don't know. You, you can't, everything's cool about the witch trials. It's such a fascinating bit of history. Uh, the, the demographics, the people, the situation, the, 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 the fear. But this is something that just sticks out and you're like. It's coincidence. There is yeah. like, I, I know there's a word for it when like you see coincidences in just like. But can you imagine exist? Here? Oh, no, it would it would take them. Their minds would run with it and go. Just keep going. Like. ooh. so she's arrested uh, and uh, she's brought up to the Ipswich jail. So this first night, she is not actually, she doesn't make it all the way to the jail. She's held in the jail keeper's home. His name was Joseph Herrick Sr. They were related. They were related? Yeah. I didn't know that. Like him. Oh, yes. And that's why he took her in, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was just kind of like watching her like, oh, I got her for the moment. Yeah. And he had enlisted two gentlemen to kind of like oversee her through the night. Mm -hmm. But by the morning... They informed him that she was gone for some time is what they said. She had uh, taken off her stockings, which um, socks, stockings, whatever. Yeah. Uh, they described her as barefooted and bare legged. Yeah. Um, so, of course, these probably would have been like not like tight stockings, probably more like wool yeah. or something. And with her infant child, legged it out in the into the woods in the middle of Massachusetts in the middle, March 1st. She's terrified. She's been arrested for being a witch. She has her infant four-year-old's back wherever, and she tries to flee. Um, You're not going to make it very far. Like, if anyone's tried to, I can't even imagine, barefoot in the snow. No, and like, where would you go? Where where could you go? Yeah. She has no connections, like no, she has no money. No one, she's, no there's supplies. no safe house, there's no harbor, there's no, yeah, so I, I don't think we ever determined w- what her end goal was in, in this jailbreak. It's also weird that, that in the interrogation, they, they don't question her about it as well, like, no. were you out to meet the devil? Did you, like, they just don't, mm-hmm. which is, or. Well, I was going to say, maybe if they did during the court records, maybe we, we would have some we don't record, have a record of that, of it. but. But yeah, she, she legs it in the woods. Uh, of New England and a blisteringly cold New England night and uh, and then comes back because she's got nowhere to go. Yeah, and she's back by the morning. Yeah, and yeah. she's a little worse for wear. 
Uh, little beat up, little bruised, little broken. The way they described it, her arm was bloody from, quote, below the elbow to the wrist. Which, if any of you have tried to run through the woods, I'm, I'm going to say New England because I haven't run through the woods in many other places. There's there's woods everywhere. Hey. Any any woods. <laughs> if you've run through any woods, you're yeah. going to get scratched up yeah. and, and bloodied and dirty. And, and especially, she doesn't have a flashlight or a lantern or a whatever. And you, you're going to get a little bruised and a little a little bloodied. So coincidentally. On the same night. The same night. Completely unaware of what's been going on where she's being held. Yes. No one knows that Sarah Good has escaped. There is an incident in the home of Dr. Griggs. Now, Dr. William Griggs, if you remember, is the doctor that diagnosed Betty Paris and Abigail Williams as being bewitched in the first mm-hmm. place. So in that home that night, Elizabeth Hubbard... Who is Dr. Griggs's niece. ...describes seeing the specter of Sarah Good naked standing on a table in the main room around everyone. So there's several, she is with several adults, including Dr. Griggs, including Samuel Sibley. Who is Mary Sibley's husband, the woman who made the witch cake. Or told Tichaba yeah. to make the witch cake. So go back, see, this is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So all these <laughs> names are coming up. Like yeah. they're all, they're all people involved in the original. Yeah. So we're in the home of Dr. Griggs, Elizabeth Hubbard, sees the specter of Sarah Good standing on top of one of the tables in that room in front of everyone, but she is the only one that can see her. Do you, do, do you want to say what she said? Oh, dude, I... So this, I've been waiting for this moment that this, <laughs> this comes up in our experience with the podcast. So I know that you have listened to Aaron Mankey's um, Unobscured podcast, episodes i've listened to them probably three times through at least i know a lot of our listeners has have listened to aaron makey's unobscured if you haven't go check it out i can hear it in my mind (laughs) over and over and over again when he says this and i can never unhear it in aaron makey's voice so when this line comes up i hear it as aaron makey that's a little weird so according to Elizabeth Hubbard and Samuel Sibley, he yep. says this as well. Um, she describes seeing Sarah Good and she's yelling at her and she says, Oh, nasty slut. If I had something, I would kill you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, I didn't even know they used that word back then. And, and a ch- So... She describes her, like you said, naked, bare-breasted, bare-footed, bare-legged, and then calls her a slut. The, the specter. Yeah. Because not, it's not to her fate, which else, yeah. I, I mean, she's like, can you imagine? Like, like being in this room with and this, this girl. 12-year-old, I think. Yeah. And she just points and she's like, there she is, the nasty slut. You, what? Yeah. What? But they believed it. Yeah. And then so there, much so. And then there goes Samuel Sibley. He takes his his I I wanted to put in my notes cane, but I saw that in the actual documents it's a staff. Like a walking 
Yeah, like a staff. I, it's not like I don't, a Gandalf he was staff. in his I think he was in his thirties. Yeah. So like he didn't maybe he didn't need the walking cane. And he starts swinging the staff at this specter, this imaginary Sarah Good up on the table that Elizabeth Hubbard is pointing to. Yeah. So there he goes swinging the staff. And according to Elizabeth Hubbard, he hit her, Sarah Good on the arm. You right. hit her and almost killed her. And right where Sarah Good was actually bloodied that following morning. So when these two people come together, these two groups, Samuel Sibley, Elizabeth Hubbard, Dr. Griggs, all these folks that had witnessed this moment in that house, and then... They get told that Sarah Good fled into the night and came back... With that, uh, an injury that would correspond with that experience. Yep. It's like, whoa, I, this is confirmation. She is a witch. Her specter was here. Elizabeth Hubbard wasn't lying. Of, of all the, this is, there's, there's a few things that I'm like, this validates what they, not, nothing validates it. But like, this coincidental issue, if nothing else... That I mean, if I was sitting in court and I heard, and I knew everything, and I was a reasonable, and if you trusted those people that are telling you this yeah. firsthand account, yeah, and it's like, oh, the girls are saying this and these kids are saying that, but these grown adults, one's a constable, like one's a jailer, yeah, one's Samuel Sibley Dr. was Griggs. well respected, Doctor Griggs, like with these independent accounts of this situation. I mean, like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, how can you not be convinced at that point? Yeah. Like, imagine something like that happened. And I don't know what the, the modern correlation of that today could possibly be. It's, it, it's coincidence. Like, it's one of those things where they would say in court, it's circumstantial evidence. Like, yeah. you can't necessarily tie it to the person. But, but that is. But, like, it sure is convincing. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. So crazy. Yeah. I still can't get Aaron Mankey out of my head. <laughs> oh. oh, you dirty slut. Yeah, I can't. Nasty. I can't. Nasty, nasty slut. Nasty, slut. If you've heard Unobscured, you know what I'm talking yeah. about. So let's move on to some of the other testimony given against her, some of the other uh, accounts. So, this is one of those situations, I don't know if it's because it was early in the trials or if maybe we just have a lot of documents that surround her case, but there are so many lists of witnesses that you will see. It's like 15, 20. Yeah, from any, yeah the lowest one I saw had 11 names yeah. on it. So there are a lot of people that are coming forward. There's a lot of documents that survive that have several lists of people testifying against her. Um, the original few were Elizabeth Paris, Betty mm -hmm. Paris, uh, Abigail Williams, and mm -hmm. Putnam Jr. And Shocking. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then uh, Elizabeth Hubbard, uh -huh. you know, the uh, niece of Dr. Griggs. But so many other folks came forward. So let's start off with uh, Samuel and Mary Abbey. So three years prior, they took Sarah Good and her family into their household. And we did mention them a little bit in our Sarah Good Part 1 episode. 
uh, Mary Abbey described her as, quote, so turbulent a spirit, spiteful and maliciously bent, uh, that they had to throw her out. And that following winter, they noticed that some of their cattle began to die off. They lost several in a, quote, unusual manner. So many so, in fact, that in two years, they lost about 17, as well as sheep and hogs, all since they removed Sarah Good from the household. And since then, she, quote, behaved very crossly and maliciously to them and their children, calling their children vile names and threatening them often. So again, playing into what you described as she's not the best woman, but also maybe I just empathize with Sarah good too much. I don't know. Maybe her name, because her name's Sarah. I don't like kids that much either. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, sure. But, and, and again, the the evidence, it, it's one of these things, and I and I sort of talk about how the, the tone of everything changes in 1692. So something that was okay in 1691 is now no longer okay in 1692. It's like dangerous because it could get you accused. No, no, no. Like, like people's perceptions of of the past, right? So that, that like, if we talk about, like, like Philip English, right? Uh-huh. Or, or a lot of these people, yeah, they've had a history, but they've had a history. It's not like it happens in 1692. The history exists, right? Yeah. Like Bridget Bishop's history with her marriage with her thing was fine in 1691 no one was like but now the tone changes in 1692 so no no, no. i would disagree with that i feel like it is a it's a situation and like right but you're this presented it this presented an opportunity to harness that right right so the tone change but the so, like Bridget Bishop, the for example, opportunity changes. She's been accused of being a witch before. She's had these multiple husbands in 1691. Fine, right? No one's really like thinking anything about it. But when 1692 rolls around and the, the discovery of all these witches around, now people are retroactively looking at all these situations and applying that insight. Okay, I see what you're yeah, saying yeah. now. So now they're looking at these situations in a quote unquote new light. Yeah, because now they know there's witches around. So, so they're like digging back into their past and trying to figure out like, oh shoot, was this situation, can I attribute it this yeah, to witchcraft? Yeah. Yeah. Like Rebecca Nurse and yeah. the hogs and all these yep. things. Yeah. So when we look at a lot of Sarah Good's things, she's had these unfortunate run-ins with people. And before people were just like, oh, that's Sarah Good. And now with the shift, people are like, oh, well, obviously it's because she did this and we caught her muttering and she was doing this and she was rude and she was threatening our kids and then our cattle died. What do you think about that? <laughs> right? Yeah, no, no, no. But, it's, and, but you and, never said and, it in, in 91. Right. And, no one cared. And like we, we joke about it and we giggle about it because it sounds so ridiculous. But like if this is all happening yeah. and you believe in it, like, oh my gosh, there are witches amongst us. And of course this muttering old woman who's been disgruntled and causing trouble for all these people in town. Yeah. You know, my cattle died as soon as we kicked her out. Of course, that must be the reason. Or, or someone else even suggests it. Yeah. Right. And I don't know. No, I'm, if anything, that just adds more credibility right? to so it. So imagine like you're sitting in the meeting house and someone's like, gosh, you've had a lot of cattle die since you kicked Sarah Good out. And you're like, holy oh, shit. You're right. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't take much for these Puritans to uh, to no. go off the the uh, the handle here. I mean, it took a lot. There was there was a lot. I mean, yeah, but okay. <laughs> there was a lot going. You said it doesn't take a lot. There was a lot going. A lot of on. pressure. There was a lot True. of pressure. That's where you go back to intro to 1692, yeah. episode number two, <laughs> if you want to get into and theories of the witch trials. Yes. That's a good one yeah. as well. Yeah. So um, another couple that gave testimony, Sarah and Thomas Gage, they. So as we had said, Sarah Good kept going from home to home trying to seek solace uh-huh. for, for her and her family. And Sarah Gage did not want to let her in for fear that she might have smallpox. Oh, that's S- a good fear. Which I mean, 100%. Valid fear. Yep, I was going to say 100%. Yeah. Sarah Good responded with her uh, normal muttering to herself, which as we mentioned in part one, in the Puritan minds, that could be... Curses. All, yeah, exactly. Curse, like real cursing. Yeah, yeah. Like, Not like F-bomb curses. Like, no, like I'm going to put a curse on yeah, you. Put a spell on you. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, in Sarah Gage's own words, scolding extremely. So again, playing into her angry character... One of their cows died suddenly the next day in a, quote, sudden, terrible, and strange, unusual manner. Can I just say that's the most vague description I have ever read? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. maybe. (laughs) Sorry. Okay. Maybe like a meteorite hit the cow. Right? Like a sudden... Sudden, terrible, and strange, unusual manner. Imagine you walk out in the field, there's like the corpse the, of the cow. Like, like give us some more detail. Like, right? I need to know what happened. But that's the thing. Like, we're talking about, like, this This is retroactive. Like, I can't remember. I don't know if she explains how long ago this was Yeah. in the records, but a lot of these testimonies... They backdate by several years. years. So, like, you don't have any actual evidence. A, Sarah Good seems to be responsible for the death of a lot of cattle. I'm just I don't know that. what she had against cows. <laughs> I'm just going to throw that out there. Um, she liked hamburgers. I don't know. Um, but what's what I've always found strange about the cattle death thing, I understand the children death thing, right? And I, the, the cattle death thing, that's your food source and that's income, right? So that's fine. But it's not like cattle were dying at an exceptionally unusual rate in New England than ever anywhere else. Like if you if your parents were farmers in England, right, and then you come over to New England and, you know, it's like, oh, sometimes cattle get sick and die. Well, you're in New England. Sometimes cattle get sick and die. And you're like, well, in New England, it's because there's witches and the devil. And well, I think like, it's one of those situations where when the opportunity presents itself, like, oh, shoot, there's witches amongst us. Oh, well, I did have this situation where my cattle died. That would be a reasonable explanation. In a world where they don't have veterinarians that can come diagnose your sick cattle, like, like, cattle die. It they happens. do, but like, but in a world where they, how do you explain why the cattle died? Like, it's not your own Ugh. fault. It's the witches or the devil. Sure. Yeah, or Sarah Good. Sarah Good killed a lot of cattle. A lot of cattle. Like, a lot of cattle. I, probably like a full in on sudden, half of the terrible, accounts. strange, and unusual ways. She's killing cattle and pinching kids. So weird. <laughs> also, what's with the pinching of the kids? Yeah, a lot of pinching. I, I. 
A lot of pension. I. How does that work? Like, it's, is it? Is it a term that that we don't know? I think it's just like I think it's a way to describe like a physical. Can you imagine attack? Just someone coming up and being like, "Ah, join the devil! Come yeah. on, come on, join the devil! I'm gonna pinch you!" Like pinching hurts. Don't get like, "Ow!" Like, I'm like go. trying to think of a way to like. Or it's okay to be in public and pinch people. And I feel like it's not. Probably not. No. I'm trying to like, can I incorporate this into my tour? <laughs> my tour. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't think that would be no, okay. No. No, Pin- but, and again, for the children, it was very easy to mimic. So like, if you pinch yourself, you yeah. have that red mark. Yeah, you can yeah. be like, oh my God, I was pinched. Like I was attacked. But yeah, no, I, I level with you on that. The pinching is... A little weird. Yeah. They're also, it's children. It's literally coming yeah. from children. Yeah, but they pinched, she pinched my child. Yeah. She pinched my child and killed my cattle strangely. Oh, it was Sarah Bibber, wasn't it? I believe it was Sarah Bibber who said that. Her child was attacked by Sarah Good Specter. Yes. And the child acted so afflicted that they couldn't, the the husband had a, a hard time holding it holding yeah the child, child was flailing which as i'm reading this i'm just like have you ever held a child i was gonna say it's a baby <laughs> it's a freaking toddler but you know it, and again 21st century retrospect like we can look at these things and be like well i have a reasonable explanation for this and this and this and this but uh, yeah, for these folks, like this actually was accepted as hard evidence in the courtroom. Oh, this one is pretty rough. Who? Um, so I think we should mention that baby good does not make it. And I think we might have already said that in Sarah Good part one. Um whether her name was Mercy or not, some people do refer to her as Mercy Good. Uh-huh. Uh, but Sarah Good's infant child, who she had given birth to at some point prior to the Salem Witch Trials, um, was still nursing at the time of her questioning and her imprisonment. That child went into jail with mm-hmm. her. And unfortunately, given the extreme circumstances, the terrible conditions, does die in jail. And there is some testimony that plays into this tragedy. So this comes from Joanna Childen. She claims that on the 2nd of June, so I'm guessing that the baby died at the uh, towards the end of May, Sarah Good's apparition and the apparition of her infant appeared before her. And the child spoke and said that her mother had murdered her. To which Sarah Good replied, she did only because she could not attend to it. The child said in turn, her mother was indeed a witch. And Sarah Good replied that she gave it to the devil. So I'm thinking in reference to giving the baby the child to, to the devil. That's what the I devil. So basically what Joanna Childen is saying is that Sarah Good's apparition appeared to her with her infant child in her arms. That infant child specter spoke to her, said that her mother killed her, 
and that Sarah Good admitted that she gave her baby to the devil. Like, this is a very extreme, scary, disturbing situation. Yeah. And again, this is made up. I'm just saying, we talked about this in the last episode, that the drunk people coming home from the bar, (laughs) like, that's totally explainable. They may see something in the dark. How do you explain this one? No, no, no. I, I think that's just fear mongering. Yeah. At at some point and and we we get into this, um that I think a lot in the beginning is things that go bump in the night and that builds a base for sort of what then evolves after that. Okay. And and we can see a lot of that in the testimony when the testimony becomes a lot more streamlined, mm-hmm. when the accusations become a lot more streamlined, when the beginning is a little wild and crazy and it's like, are you afraid of the dark? And then now it's June time frame and you've got this and I don't know this woman or anything else, but I sort of just imagine her as this maybe catty sort of, oh, well, Sarah good. And she doesn't like her in the first place. Yeah. And maybe she's trying to avoid accusation herself. Yeah. And maybe she thinks less of her or she thinks bad of her. Maybe she thinks, well, you know, she's fallen into poverty and how could you do that? You know, people get Mm -hmm. very judgmental. And when I read this, I was like, she's just sitting here like scorning this poor woman who's lost a child. She's like, well, the reason why is because she couldn't maintain it. And then she was locked up because she's a witch. So she gave the child to the devil. God, that's so horrible. And like, I can, I can see it. And I, again, I making a lot of presumptions. I I, I don't know if I'm right. No, no. But like, I can see that. Yeah. And you're like, and that's where that issue comes in is you're just like, oh, well. But again, totally made up. Yeah. It's just this woman who's yeah. trying to, whether she's trying to avoid accusation herself or she just wants to play, like she has, for whatever reason, that need to play into that narrative. Yeah. She's willing to offer up this false testimony. It's so sad. Yeah. And like, what a grim picture to paint. Yeah. To bring in a dead infant. I feel like there are only a few glimpses. I mean, obviously the trials are bad in general. Like all of them are uh-huh. sad. It's a grim picture. But like when moments like this come up where you're talking about dead children or Dorothy being accused uh-huh. and, and questioned, like when you're actually talking about a four-year-old being questioned by these adults, like it's just, it's so disturbing. I don't yeah. think there's another word for it. It's just disturbing. A lot of testimony given against Sarah Good. I think, you know, we always talk about Bridget Bishop being the easy target because she was the first one and she did get bumped to the front of the line. I think Sarah Good is probably one of the easiest of them all. Mm-hmm. I think with, with Sarah Good, uh, sorry, with Bridget Bishop's case, though, really the only main difference is there were legal accusations against her already. Yeah. Where in which... uh Sarah Good's reputation was against her. And uh, Bridget Bishop had some power behind her. Yeah. Like she actually had a little bit more leeway in town and actually had some property under her belt, whereas Sarah Good had nothing. Yeah. And like I personally get a lot of people on tour that talk about the land grab and they want to hear about like, oh, if you accuse someone's property or accuse someone of witchcraft, could you just take their property? No. And like we, <laughs> no, it wasn't that simple. And we talked about this in our episode on reasons behind the witch trials. Mm-hmm. But this is a perfect example of how like there is no, 
There's no property involved yeah, at all. Li- Sarah, literally, there's Sarah no land, Good no has, property. Sarah Good has nothing. Yeah. There is nothing for, and like the people that are talking about their cattle dying in these situations where if, say if you accused Rebecca Nurse of killing your cattle, well, Rebecca Nurse actually does have some cattle and some land. You could probably get some compensation if she's found guilty. Sarah Good, she has no cattle. She has no land. She has nothing. Yeah. You're not going to get anything from her. It's just, it's one of those situations where it shows just how far reaching these accusations could go. And like no one, whether you are at the lowest of the low or the highest of the high. Almost highest. Almost the highest <laughs> of the high, whether you're four years old or in your 80s. Yeah. Like there is no way to escape. Speaking of not escaping, maybe we um, move on to her execution day. Sure. July 19th. On July 19th, Sarah Good was led out to Proctor's Ledge along with Rebecca Nurse, Sarah Wilds, Elizabeth Howe, and Susanna Martin. So it was those five. They are round two. And like the first mass. Yeah, hanging. yeah. So, so this is... Can you imagine? Like, like I wonder if at any... I'm sure maybe it had, had happened before at some point in Salem, but like... Was there any mass execution? I don't conducted. I don't think so. To that point, that's like extreme. Like yeah. five people from, and remember, they're not all from Salem Town, but like they're all from the surrounding area. Yeah. For and, them to just and it's not like we were done. It's not like five and that was it. No, there were still there were still people guilty. There were still people awaiting trial. There's still people awaiting execution. Or like these five next, and I. I don't like, but I, I, I like this date because it differs so much from uh, Bridget Bishop's date. June uh, 10th to July 19th. Well, no, just in the, she was alone. So she was the first. Oh, that's what you mean. Did she have any concept? She had, she had to have some foresight into what was going to happen after she died, right? Like it wasn't going to end with her. Bridget? Yeah. Like, and I don't know, so I'm just... I, I wonder, because, like, up until that point... But there were there were so many people sitting in jail. There were so true. many accusations. Like, even if she hoped that nothing... She had, you had to know, right? Maybe. But now is the first time where, like, it's not over. It's not done. We're just getting started. You know, Bridget Bishop was not just a blip in the radar. And, and that that evidence is really put in full force on, on July 19th. Now there is something peculiar about Sarah Good's execution that I think <laughs> um, definitely gets circulated a lot, especially if you've taken a walking tour in town, uh-huh. you have probably heard this story before. So as these people are brought out to Proctor's ledge, they're led up Essex street. Um, they're, brought past they're usually up on a cart as you know there's a group of folks you know dozens of people trailing behind them spitting at them swearing at them throwing food at them cursing at them it became very much a I don't want to say a party-like atmosphere that's how I used to describe it on my tours but it kind of was yeah and 
they would go down. I mean, they, they didn't know what a party was in the first place. So. They didn't. <laughs> well, that's the thing. They didn't have parties. Yeah. They didn't have anywhere to to get out any type. They didn't have any release at all. So when they get this moment to partake in this horrid brutality, this public execution, they took full advantage. Yeah. So they're brought up Essex Street. They're past the old first church, past Judge Hathorne's house, past... Uh, Judge Corwin's house, and again, such a stark contrast of the people executed that day. You have Sarah Good standing next to to Rebecca Nurse. Rebecca Nurse, a coveted member of the Church of Salem, well-respected, a saint among the people. One of the biggest things for them was going into the afterlife you could not lie. When they were brought to their execution spot, they were asked, confess, confess, give your final confession, confess all your sins before you die and, and leave this mortal world. Because if you don't, you are going to burn in eternal damnation. And they're That's why a lot of people believe that a lot of folks did not confess. People did not, they refused to say that they were a witch. We know that they would be lying. Right. We know that if you did admit to being a witch and you did point the finger at someone else, there was a good chance that you might be able to save yourself. But these folks, they were so adamant about staying true to themselves because in their minds, if they lied, that was a guaranteed ticket to hell. So you know, I'm not a witch. No yeah. matter what you say, yeah. I am not a witch. And they ask them one final time before they are executed, just admit, admit. And also, just going to say, so one last chance to validate themselves. Like, come <laughs> on. Like, you're looking for, please, please, just say you're a witch because then it tells then me we that know. I'm... Then yeah, we know. Then we yeah. know and I'm doing the right thing by yeah. executing you. And... Do you uh do you want to take it away from here? Do, do you want me to say what what she says? So Nicholas Noyce, yep, am I saying Noyce. that Noyce? Yeah, Reverend Noyce. He was one of the judges, and uh, he was the one that asked her. You know, do you confess? Are you a witch? Confess before you die to save your immortal soul. And what does she say, Jeffrey? I believe she says you are a liar. I am no more a witch than you are a wizard, and if you take my life, God will give you blood to drink. Such amazing words. Yeah, uh, it's a really fascinating uh, quote for a couple reasons. It was pretty bold, like, first off. Of course. Uh, But it's also, um, I believe it's a quote from Revelations, or uh, a derivation of... uh, uh, scripture. Mm-hmm. So she's not just pulling these words like out of thin air. She's using qu- their words against quoting them. the Bible at him in her last moments. I mean, we can theorize it all, but it's like if you're quoting the Bible and you're a wit like that, those two things don't like the the words might seem a little harsh, but they're from they're they're from inspired by Scripture. They have weight to them. So like. Yeah. It's it must have given Reverend Noyce at least pause. I hope. Gosh, I hope. You know, like Or he was completely ambivalent to it. I 
I don't know. I, we don't know. We but don't I, know. I think if, if, if you're deep in your faith and you're, you're ple- and, and they probably wanted the confession, but also probably like a salvation, like these people, like, like, help, let me help you. Let me save you. Yeah. If you confess, you'll go to, we don't, right? Yeah, exactly. And here's this condemned, guilty witch spitting Bible, Bible verses at you. At some point, it's got to run through your head like, shit, did we, did we screw that up? Did we up? screw up? Did like, we fuck up? Right? And I, I also like here, and, and this shows, it definitely shows to her character, but it also shows that, that she's smart enough um, to throw that back at him. And also, one thing that I appreciate about this is it does uh, validate the sort of the literacy rate. Literacy? Sure. Yeah. Rate of people in Salem, which was radically unusual. Everyone could read. Yeah, during that time. It's yeah. it's small pockets in history. Yeah, because you had to read the Bible, yeah. obviously. But everyone could read. So she had knowledge of and had read the Bible and had retained enough to be able to use it back at them, uh, which is pretty cool. It's brilliant. Yeah. And uh, what a way to go out, right? Like some harsh right? final last words. Yeah. And then... We get in uh, once again a coincidence that Reverend Noyce is found dead several decades later. Yeah, I was gonna say not not like the next day. <laughs> not the next day. Yeah. Oh my goodness, that'd be great. Can oh you my, imagine? Oh. <laughs> I was gonna say no. If he was found the next day, we would see it in the records yeah. like over and yeah. over again. Like oh my god, uh, but he was found dead supposedly with blood coming out of his mouth, which is not entirely unusual no could have died of tb tuberculosis but like you cough up and you spitting out blood any number of but like come on it's a great coincidence oh it's wonderful and like i would like to think that it's karma yeah so i always make the joke at the memorial like she didn't get as many people as giles did but (laughs) she got one (laughs) and of course that's also the the line uh hawthorne's inspired by in house seven gables as well remember Ah, uh, yes. Did yeah. you remember what it was exactly? No, you can't remember. Yeah. I, I literally had forgotten that till just now. Just now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's so good. It's so good. Yeah. And for, I love that she has this like lasting legacy, like this lasting last line uh-huh. because she is looked at as like this haggard, poor beggar. Yeah. In the Puritan eyes, she was against everything that they believed in. Yeah, especially since, um, one of the lying was a sin. Rest and laziness were sins. Idleness. Idleness. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that tied into her. She was clearly sinful. She didn't work, Not you know, but she didn't have a home. She didn't, you know, do labor. She wasn't, you know. She swore. Yeah, <laughs> the, the things that would put you in good God's good graces. Yep. And she gets this lasting, like, it's a mic drop. Yeah. This is a mic drop yeah. in I the also, Salem Witch Trials. It also sort of reminds us that uh, she wasn't always uh, homeless and and destitute. She came from a somewhat middle-class family. She had been brought up not educated in the sense that, you know, we're educated, but literate and reading and schooled in some way. Uh, so she had a... Uh, a good life uh, before everything sort of got turned on its head. Again, one of the saddest stories 
Yeah. In my opinion. Ugh. And then it doesn't end with her. <laughs> so we have uh, her uh, daughter, Dorothy. daughter, Dorothy. Which, uh, just FYI, if you hear Dorcas as well, that's also... Don't give me that. I'm No, no, no. I'm angry. I just gave him a look. My <laughs> eyes got wide. It's funny. I totally forgot about this until you just said Dorcas. I heard a tour guide from a pretty well-respected company in town uh-huh. referring to her as Dorcas. And I was straight pissed. I was like, you got to be kidding me. No. I thought we put this to bed. It's a typo. I thought this was done. It's a typo. Like, if you hear young Dorothy, Sarah Good's daughter, the four-year-old, the youngest accused of witchcraft being referred to as Dorcas, that is not correct. Yeah. They what got it, it like Hathorn. Yeah, someone took it down wrong. It the, might not even been the magistrates. It might have been like Ezekiel, yeah. fucking Ezekiel, Shiver, <laughs> Ezekiel. Like the, the first time. Yeah, and they're like, "Oh, who is this?" Dor- Dor- okay, and it might cool, have gotten cool. made. It might have gotten referenced later on too. But like, yeah, but that was it. That that's it. And every other time, it's always Dorothy. It's always been Dorothy. It is Dorothy. And she uh, also gets picked up in some of the early Dorcas, the name gets picked up in some of the early interpretations of the witch trials. Mm-hmm. So like the early, like we're talking, you know, back, um, uh, what was his name? Um, in the 1850s, Upham. Yeah. Charles, Charles Upham. Upham. So like if we go back to those old sources and like the ones that came around the turn of the century, they're all referring to her as Dorcas. So mm-hmm. I get why that it gets perpetuated quite a bit. But and like, also it's it's again one of these things that the digital age has really helped us out. Yes. We have the internet now. Yeah. And you, but you also have multiple documents, right? Upham didn't have access to everything. No, of course not. And, and if he sees that thing and how he doesn't know necessarily and again, a little presumptive, that Dorcas and Dorothy are two different people. Uh-huh. Or not two different people. Um, and there was Dor- there was Dorcas. Yeah. So when you start to look and you don't have all the... We still don't have all the pieces of the puzzle. But when you have far less uh, pieces and far less access, you're going to make some assumptive uh, uh, conclusions. And that's where that comes from. But Dorothy. Dorothy Good. Yes. So she is accused towards the end of March, mm-hmm. is imprisoned along with her mother. Um, if you can just imagine the the situation, horrible conditions. Her baby sister, mm-hmm. sibling, would have died probably if not next to her, like in close proximity. And then, of course, her mother is carted off away to be executed. And, and she's left there all alone. December? Yeah, she Ish. she stays there about eight months yeah. or so. Um, it is not her father that bails her out. It's just a, a kind individual. A little crowdfunding going on to, to get the kid out of jail. Ugh, like, so sad. So we do have an issue here with, and we, we've talked about jail fines and, and whatnot before. Uh, so she owes money to get out. Which this, is the, the, yeah, so wrap your heads around this. Yeah. This four-year-old owes money to get out of jail for being in prison for witchcraft, which obviously she is not a witch. Yes. Which they all know now that yes. the trials are over. Although she does admit to being a witch. And says her mother's a witch. Uh, but she's four. She's four. She's like, look, I got this pet snake and it bit me on the finger. See here looks the, the mark. And like, uh, yeah, 
it's just it's again one of those horrible glimpses just like yeah sarah good's infant child dying again putting a four-year-old in jail you cannot wrap your head around it um they also fairly certain of this uh didn't have shackles that fit her so i don't know where the line is but when you find yourself custom making uh shackles for children just i think that's it i i think i think you're way that's that's like past the line but stop there yeah um yeah so she owes all this money she can't pay her father's (laughs) she's the daughter of a dead witch as well which obviously doesn't do her any favors nope but it's not like there's inheritance it's not like there's money uh her her mother was a beggar uh and you're still being like hey kid come on Yo, it's 30 pounds to get out of jail. Like, like, can we just not? Can we just? I don't. But that was not the way back then. It's not the way today. In some I was going to say, I was going to say, it's not, not far off from uh, what we see in our modern judicial system. It's really not. Thankfully, it doesn't go as young as four anymore. But. Um, and so, then, she, so she does get out. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of unclear whether or not she goes directly into the care of her father, um, but she does get passed around from home to home, and she is actually in the care of a Putnam family member by the year 1708. So that's kind of like the uh, earliest record we have. Um, So... I think we mentioned this a little bit in our intro to 1692 episode. There are reparations that are gifted out Mm -hmm. by the crown Mm -hmm. to compensate these individuals. Anyone who was affected by the Salem witch trials, they could petition for money. And William Good, Sarah Good's husband, widower, and the father of young Dorothy, he is one of these individuals that takes advantage of this opportunity. He gets a lot of money. He has a decent amount. Compared he's one of, to, one of the most. Yeah, but he doesn't most of So there, do you want to read? Let's read the petition that he sends in because it is quite telling and it does speak both about Dorothy Good and about young infant Good as well. Sure. All right. Let it rip. September 13th. 1710. To the Honorable Committee, the humble representation of William Good of the damage sustained by him in the year 1692 by reason of the suffrage of his family upon the account of supposed witchcraft. 1. My wife Sarah Good was in prison about four months and then executed. 2. A sucking child died in prison before the mother's execution. 3. A child of four or five years old was in prison seven or eight months and being chained in the dungeon was so hardly used and terrified that she hath ever has been very chargeable, having little or no reason to govern herself. And I leave it unto the honorable court to judge what damage I have sustained by such a destruction of my poor family. And so rest your honor's humble servant, William Good Salem. I think this bit, the the bit about Dorothy, she was chained in the dungeon and so used and terrified that she has little or no reason to govern herself after that. 
uh, oftentimes she's described in a wide variety of ways. Insane is one that crops up, but clearly she suffered such physical and emotional damage at the age of four or five. Which I mean, like, tell, obviously, hello. yeah, that when, she can't. She doesn't even have the faculties or reason to 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 maintain herself as a as a uh, as a person. Being put in a prison at four years old. Knowing that your mother is killed, watching your sibling die, and being there for months. Like, I can't, I cannot even fathom what that would do to an individual. And I don't, I mean, like, how do you, what even happens to her there? Like, I mean, we could, like, worst case scenarios, but, like. Did you watch Three Sovereigns for Sarah? No. So... I, I, it got brought up, I think, when we talked about the Rebecca Nurse episode. Yeah, yeah. For those who are interested, it's totally worth watching. But Dorothy Good is a character in this, and, and she's called Dorcas, if I recall correctly. Yeah. And it is Sarah Cloyce, Rebecca Nurse's sister, uh-huh. that kind of takes her under her wing and protects her in the jail. And there are several scenes where she's kind of like trying to protect this young child who is obviously fearful and doesn't know what's happening and just needs someone to comfort her. So I would like to think that the people in the jail, some folks in the jail would have helped her because she's a child. Like, like I mean, I, I hope you so. Would, you would expect that. So that that's like hopeful, wishful thinking. How else does a four-year-old survive that long in prison in those conditions? Like, I don't, I don't see any other way that that would have worked out. Yeah, but I mean, I, I hope desperately hope that that someone did. But I mean, the the wide array of what her days could have potentially looked like is just genuinely unimaginable. Now, when it comes to her days after the witch trials, this is super exciting. New developments have been happening. I don't know if you saw this in your research when you were looking at Dorothy's life. Um, you're looking at me with a weird face. Yeah, I don't know what you're you talking don't know? about. Okay. So I had picked up on a little kernel of information that was floating around several months ago. Um, it was put out by the Salem Witch Museum about how young Dorothy Good, who we all know, she's renowned for being the youngest person accused, and I feel like she is cemented in our minds as this young child. And many of us, myself included, have perpetuated this idea that she died in her teenage years. Yes, I have been saying that for years, and I am wrong. Yeah, for years and years that she went around from place to place, and she, like, froze to death in a shed somewhere. I've been telling people that. I have also been telling people that. I'm I glad don't, don't know where it started. I don't know where it came from. But we know it's wrong now, so we're going to make it right. <laughs> so every person I have had on tour for the past five years, I don't even know. Yeah. Uh, Sorry. Got that one wrong. Uh, so you did see this in the research. Okay, yeah. I didn't know if there was something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. Yeah. So did you watch? I'm going to plug, and I will plug uh, the video in the show notes. Okay. There was a... 
uh, presentation put out by oh, the, the Witch Museum, the Salem Witch Museum. Okay. So can I just real quick? They do phenomenal. Uh, YouTube videos and presentations. Yes, it, they started a lot of that during during COVID. During COVID, yeah. to yeah. combat the fact that people couldn't actually come yeah. to their museum. They, they got some really great stuff on there. And I will say, for as how outdated some of their museum is, they do have good researchers working for them. Yeah, and their education department is pretty well run. Yeah, and they are producing new research findings and new information and those descendant packets we yeah, talk about yeah. those all the time they're constantly working on those so you will see new descendant packets pop up every year so it's funny so the the video that i'm going to plug right now and in the show notes it's a public presentation and the person speaking her name is rachel christ doan I hope I'm saying that right. I think it's Christ, not Christ, but Christ. Weird. You know how Salem is very small? Yeah. So I yeah. actually have brewed beer with her husband. Oh, of course. Over at Backbeat Brewing mm-hmm. in Beverly. And I remember he was like, you know, you and my fiance would get along really well. She works at the Witch Museum. She knows a lot about the witch trials. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, you're probably right. We would. (laughs) And now I really, really want to like meet her. I've seen her in passing, but we've never chatted just because this is so fabulously done. Her, along with one of the other researchers, they were looking into someone else. But when they were looking at selectman records... They discovered Dorothy's name and they were able to start tracing her through time beyond her teenage years. So wait, where did you see this? In the packet. The descendant packet. We had a Sarah Good descendant packet? Yeah. I didn't even realize we got one of those. I got that one and you got the next one. Oh, damn. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Yeah, so I was like, I'm like, I, I just, and I was like, what, how do you. Okay, so you can, you can learn more about Dorothy's path in the Descendant Packet or from afar through that uh, presentation. So basically, long story short, she goes from place to place. She actually lives with the Putnam family. She's taken in by Benjamin Putnam. When William Good gets that money from his, from like the reparations that were Mm -hmm. sent out, he actually asks for that to go to Benjamin Putnam because she had been in the care of him as early as 1708. So... Good on him. Yeah, I think somewhat admirable. Benjamin Putnam dies in 1715, and she gets kind of transferred into the custody of his brother-in-law, Nathaniel Putnam. So it's kind of ironic because, you know, the Putnams are... Yeah, a little bit. But remember, we got Putnams on both sides. So she will pass from place to place over the next several decades, Uh, not just homes, but also the House of Corrections. Yeah, which isn't so also weird. We have uh, corrections facilities still today, which are jails. Yeah. Right. Uh, But it wasn't necessarily a jail. Like it could be a jail. I Uh, like to think of it as like a precursor to an almshouse. Sure. I think uh, more a little like I was thinking more of like um, 
some sort of a mental institute and a halfway house. Yeah, that's that's solid. Yeah. 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 Yep. And disturbing part is this. So this did not exist in 1692. I think it was built in the 1720s, mm-hmm. but it would have been connected, if not right next to the dungeon, the jail that both her and her mother probably yeah. spent some time in at some point during the trials. So like, just imagine going back to that place after the trauma that you experienced there. Now, we also know that she had two children. Yeah. At some point. One at least in or, or like had in the the house. So a girl and a boy, um, William and Dorothy, Dorothy Jr. Here's the cool thing, and this is what I really appreciated about Rachel's, uh, Rachel Doan's presentation is they ended it with the idea that there are people out there walking around that could be direct descendants of Sarah Good. And most people don't like at the, like they, they wouldn't know. Right. Yeah, yeah. Because up until this point, most of us thought that there was nothing after Dorothy. Right. Because if Sarah dies and then Mercy dies and then Dorothy dies, that's it. Yep. Yeah. But there could be, in fact, and I would I would put money on it that Unless her something children, happened to both those children. Yeah, her children had children, and yeah. there are people out there that are descendant from Sarah Good. They just yeah. don't know it. And I don't think you could figure out if you were, even if you tried. I don't think there is any way to do that. But, like, just the idea. Maybe, maybe, hey, maybe records will pop up just like this. That's like a... a, a a holding record, an arrest record, uh, a tax record, a shipping, you know. Yeah, this discovery is recent. Yeah. Like, they did not know. So kudos to the education department at the Salem Witch Museum because without this discovery, we would not have any idea that she has, you know, she could have this lineage yeah. walking around. So she lives well into her 30s, 40s? 50s. So I think the last record they have of her is... When she's about 50. Okay. That's it. This is so her kids were both indentured. They became indentured servants um, because obviously they didn't have any prospects in life. Their mother couldn't even put a roof over their head. So what would happen is they, as they are staying with these people, those folks would then sign a contract with these children. And like, obviously the children aren't signing the contracts. These children are being willed into this contract at the age of like two. And which they, is not uncommon. I, not like, uncommon, but like yeah. also so weird for us to think about in modern day. Cause obviously like that's just absurd to think about, yeah. but in this world that was very normal. And, and, and it, it also has to do with labor, which is like a, a very important thing. Yes. Uh, many hands make light work, right? Yeah. If you've got 6,000 chores, you're like, hey, we'll take on this kid. Yeah, we'll feed it and clothe it. And then now you have someone else to to, to sweep up the chimney and, and do whatever else, you, you know, clean out the right bed pans and stuff. So <laughs> the bed pans. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just saying there's stuff to get done, you yep. know? Yep, yep, yep. So it's not, it is, it is a give and take. It's, it's a, a mutually beneficial yeah, relationship. Yeah. Um, but both her kids are going to find themselves in those situations because obviously that's like the best route for them to take in life and probably their only option. So one 
uh, thing that they noted in the research is that Sarah Good's last mention is the same year that her daughter is aged out of her indentured servitude. So there is that hopeful thought, maybe, maybe. Is that 18, six? I think it was 18. I think it was 18. Maybe there was a chance that she left with her daughter and maybe they got out of there. Like she finally had a, a chance to leave that area. Um, and I will say one more thing that they bring up, and this is totally speculative. Everyone who is interested in the story, please watch this YouTube video. I don't mean this YouTube, whatever it is, uh, whatever I plug in the show notes, go watch it if you're interested in this research because it's fascinating. They did discover a newspaper clipping. It was, I believe, down in Connecticut or Rhode Island. Okay. But it was reprinted in several newspapers two times in Boston newspapers. And it describes a transient woman who moved from place to place that was discovered dead in a, like, marsh field. And I believe they just, I think they may have actually named her Sarah Good. Obviously, you don't know if that is her because, you know, it's in a different state. It's several decades later. But is it possible that this might have been her? Who knows? So, and it might have been the reason why it got reprinted in several Boston newspapers. Interesting. So, there is there is that little kernel. Okay. Well, we will... You will keep you updated. Yes. I mean, there's there's like probably no way to figure out if that's actually her. But, you know, I, I actually I take that back. If you were able to trace her movements from the Salem area down south to one of those states, wherever that actually took place, maybe. But it's sad to think that maybe she died in this tragic. I was going to call it a murder, but it sounds like she just like yeah. wandered into a field and died. Which happens. Know. It happens, I guess. I don't know. I mean, Sad. Is It was very marshy. It, it was very marshy. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> I, I'm not trying to like make light of it, but if you get turned around in the old New England woods, yeah, there was swamps and mar- I've gotten turned around in New England and you're like, shh. <laughs> True story. Yeah. So, but yeah, I was uh, very excited to learn that I was wrong about that. I feel a little bad. Uh, about perpetuating that. Well, I feel real bad. I've been telling people the wrong thing oh, for years. I know. I've, years. I don't even know. Like, how do you? How do you backtrack on that? You don't. You can't. You don't. But hey, you know what? I'm glad I'm not one of those tour guides out there still calling her Dorcas. There you go. At least I'm not there one of those go. people. So. <laughs> but. God. That's just about that. That's about it. Yeah. Yeah. If you. uh if you find yourself in Salem, you can go pay tribute to Sarah Good at the Salem Witch Trials Memorial. She will be the second stone on your left. You'll also see her name engraved at Proctor's Ledge, yep. where those executions took place. As, as well as uh, over the, in Danvers. I was going to say the Danvers Memorial as yep. well. She is also there. And there is one location that you can visit that does connect to her childhood over in uh, Wenham, yes, where she was born. 
So this would have been the, I think, I don't know if this was the tavern itself. I don't know if they operated I, the tavern out of the, they had a big family, so yeah. it probably wasn't. It might have been separate. But like when her her father. Remember, remember, he was a tavern owner, so he owns the tavern in Wenham. Yep. And he's got a pretty decent income. Yeah. Like, he's got like a good. 700 acres. No, wait. Yeah. Is that right? 70, 70, 70 acres. acres. I was he like, had, that sounds, yeah. He had a pretty good estate, yeah. a, a good amount of uh, land, and he did have that tavern, and he did have a house, and that house still stands. It is the Solart Woodard House. I think I got that right. Or Solart Woodard House. Yeah. I feel like there's so many places that you can visit uh, tied to the trials. That, right. Like, like, we have never. Yeah, yeah. And it's just there. Um, like if you ever find yourself in that area, 106 Main Street in Wenham. I wonder if they know. Yeah, they've got to know. Yeah, yeah. it's on the internet. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if it's on the internet, they know. <laughs> but yeah, check those out. Check out Salem. We hope this was a good mix of uh, sadness and humor. We in, try in the best way. Yeah, yeah. In a respectful way. Yeah. And um, we hope you learned something about Sarah Good and her family. One of the most tragic stories of them all. Yeah. But with that, that's all we got. Thanks for listening. See you later.